Start. Father God, we come before you this morning thankful, as we already reflected a bit today, that in your mercy and in your grace you sent your son Jesus Christ to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. And so in light of that this morning, we give you praise. And we ask that as we come under the teaching of your word, Lord God, that you would, by your spirit, that you would, you would convict us, you would comfort us, you would change us, you would make us more into the image of your Son, that you'd show us more of your, your perfect love for us that's best displayed on the cross. And so help us this morning, guide us in our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> Think with me for a second. Think about somebody in your life. Someone who may have loomed over you or somebody who had the power to make your life great or to make your life miserable. Someone whom you may have feared more than you respected them or admired them. This could be a parent. This could be a member of your family. It might be a teacher, a coach, a boss. But chances are, There's someone in your life whose presence had an effect on you. And so personally, I think about my my grandpa Lyle. He was a pillar of our small farming community where I grew up. He was a guy whom I loved, whom I respected, but he smoked most of his life. And as he died of COPD very slowly, uh, his, his health deteriorated along with the warmth and the kindness that I knew from this man for so many years. And toward the end, it was really difficult to be in his presence. I think about a boss of mine that I had in college uh, where I was a bartender and a cook at a small restaurant campground uh, in rural Iowa. Uh, This guy, he was a Navy guy, and he ran his business like a Navy guy would, and here I was a a lazy private school kid uh, who he had to whip into shape, and he did do that. So who's coming to mind for you right now? Welcome again uh, to River City. My name is uh, Charlie, one of the elders here, and welcome to Grace City Church. Uh, if you don't know Grace City Church, uh, they could not meet at Cheyenne High School this week. They closed, so we invited them in this morning. And so welcome, uh, Grace City Church. We're glad that you're with us. I made a joke uh, first service about you. I won't do that at second service. Uh, I did see Larry Hoos walk in, and I was trying to think of a joke, but I just wasn't quick enough when I saw you walk in. It'll come to me before the morning's out. I'll make fun of you somehow publicly at some point. <laughs> Just wait. Uh, we're, gonna, we're in the middle of a, a series in Luke. Uh, we're studying uh, his gospel, and right now we're in chapter 3. We're going to study the first 20 verses of chapter 3 this morning. So uh, we're glad that Grace City, you can join along with us. Hopefully you're encouraged and built up this morning in the Lord. Raise your hands. If you need a copy of God's Word, we will get you one. Luke chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first 20 verses. So as we dive into that passage, uh, we have to face this reality that we have a funny relationship when it comes to authority. We all want it, we all reject it, and we are all under it. It just depends upon the situation. And so we have this my way or the highway mentality, but far too often we find ourselves living by someone else's directions. And many in our lives, unfortunately, have abused their position of authority over us. And if we're honest, we have abused the the power that we've been given as well. And we may not realize it, but we are in this moment-by-moment power struggle where we're seeking to forge our own identity in our own ways. We're trying to make our own paths in life. And this can get exhausting. 
But we're going to see in this passage that that we have some really good news to celebrate about who Jesus is. He is our king, and he has all authority uh, in heaven and on earth. And he rules over his people with grace and truth. And it's this king who willfully submitted himself to his father to make a way for the power-hungry, rebellious people that we are. And so in Christ, we can live a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of faith, and by this, we serve the Lord Jesus, and we serve his people, and we help one another to live a lifestyle of repentance and faith. So let's read our passage, and let's dive into what it means for us today. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them, uh, added this to them all, that he locked John up in prison. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's dive in uh, a bit deeper to see what he has for us. As Luke narrates the gospel to this guy Theophilus, he was writing this gospel to most excellent Theophilus. He jumps from Jesus as an adolescent boy in the temple to Jesus as a man about to begin his public ministry. 
And this section here in Luke 3 starts with a who's who of political and religious authorities at the time. We have Tiberius Caesar, we have Pilate, we have Herod, we have Philip, Lysanias, Annas, and Caiaphas. And these are the men who loomed over the whole world at the time. These were the guys whose presence would bring about fear and trembling because they had power, they knew they had power, and they used their power. So Tiberius, he was actually a halfway decent Caesar compared to those who came before him and who came after, at least in terms of how he ran a country. But basically, at one point, he gave up his authority and he moved to the Isle of Capri off the coast of Italy just to chill for five years, letting somebody else run the Roman Empire. And during that time, this guy tried to take over and Tiberius was like, I'm not having it. And he came back and he took it back. But while he was away, Tiberius apparently, I read, uh, would entertain himself from a, with a variety of means, but one of them was just killing people for sport. Kind of at random. And then you have Pilate. He was appointed by Tiberius to rule over Judea, which is east uh, of Rome where uh, the Jews lived, Israel. And his main job was to keep these occupied people quiet. They were just a conquered people. They were nothing more. And failure to suppress these Judeans would mean that Pilate would be removed from his post and probably punished in some way, shape, or form. And then we got Herod. He was ruling over the area of Galilee where Jesus lived. He was the son of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great heard that there was a Messiah that was born, so he tried to kill all the firstborn males. So this Herod that we're talking about here, he comes from another messed up line of people, people who had authority and who abused it. And that's the case with, with these political leaders. Then you have Annas, you have Caiaphas. They were the former and the current high priests, uh, the highest religious authorities in Israel. And Caiaphas married Annas's daughter, so they were also like related in-laws. As we get through Luke, we're going to hear more about how they uh, abused the role and the power that they had in the condemnation and the death of Jesus. But that's going to be coming at a later time. For now, Luke is doing a couple things. First, he is going to set the tone uh, and the timeline for these events that were taking place. They actually took place, and using these names uh, gives us a sense of the, the time period in history when this occurred. It'd be like saying, like, Charlie and Andrea Hogstead, we got married under the reign of George W. Bush when John Hoven was governor of North Dakota and Denny Walker was mayor of Fargo. That was 2007, saying this actually happened, and this is where and when, and this is what was going on. That's the second thing that... Uh, Luke is doing. He's grounding these events in reality, and then he's giving us an idea of what the religious and political climate was like at the time. And things were tense because the Romans, they conquered Judea, the Jews hated their Roman overlords because the Jews had thousands of years of history and culture and identity that they were not able to express as freely under Roman rule. Israel, they, they had a my way or the highway mentality for a long time. And now it was the Romans who were building the roads and calling all the shots. You have Rome, which was west of Judea. Rome in Italy was the gravitational center of the whole world. Jerusalem, it was the, the center of all religious authority uh, for the Jews. But Luke, when he's telling this gospel story to Theophilus, who would have known all these tensions, he would have known what was going on politically, religiously at the time, Luke does not bring him to these centers of power, but instead he takes the story out into the wilderness. And so the first thing we're going to consider uh, this morning together is how do we respond to authority? How do we respond to authority? So on a, a boring Friday morning, 
Early afternoon, September of 2018, I was rudely interrupted in my daily errands by this. That's Air Force One, that's the Fargo Dome, Air Force One landing at Hector. And because of this, the interstates were closed, there were no cars on the interstates, and I was forced uh, to take a different route to Costco that day. And I was quite perturbed, (laughs) as it were. So the planning and the preparation to get that plane to where it's going is pretty crazy. It's all coordinated by the Secret Service. There are people on the ground that create a perimeter for the safety of the president. It's a big deal when that plane lands. And I must not have been paying very much attention because I had no clue why the interstates were empty and why 32nd Avenue was crazy. I was just more annoyed than anything. But something similar is happening here in the wilderness of Judea. We have John the Baptist. He is the guy on the ground. He is not the guy, but he is the guy preparing the way for the true king to arrive. And this preparation, this work that that John was now doing, it was foretold by the prophet Isaiah, which Luke quotes for us. And he's looking at Isaiah chapter 40. And in that passage, what's happening in Isaiah 40, Isaiah is encouraging God's people who are exiled. They are not living in Israel. They are exiled in Babylon, living in a different place, under a different ruler. And Isaiah is reminding them that God's glory was going to be revealed and they would be rescued. And so what Luke is doing is taking those promises and he's bringing them to God's people in this time and in this place, which is amazing because Israel hasn't heard from God in 400 years. There have been no prophecies. There's been nothing, just quiet for over 400 years. And so John, he is the one crying in the wilderness. He is God's guy on the ground preparing the people for the arrival of the true king, the true redeemer, the one who is going to bring them out of slavery to sin, out from under the oppression, not just of the Romans, but of something far more pervasive. And he was going to bring them into his very own kingdom. Make, I, I love the, the look at the, the imagery from Isaiah 40 that Luke quotes here. The imagery is awesome. Make his path straight. Every valley is going to be filled. Every mountain is going to be made low. The crooked is going to be made straight. And the rough places are going to be made level. And all will see the salvation of God. This Messiah was coming. And John's job was to prepare the people to respond properly. And so Luke tells us that, that John went out through the, throughout the region of uh, the Jordan River proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so baptism means to immerse, means to be cleansed, to, to dip. And so what John was saying and what John was proclaiming to the people is that in response to this king, Immerse yourself in repentance. Turn from your sin with every part of your being and you will find forgiveness. And so imagine with me for a moment uh, a road. Going off into the distance. It's pitch dark. You're in a vehicle. You're driving on this road and in your vehicle you have a lot of things with you. You have your baggage. And your bags are filled with your beliefs, your, your ability to rationalize things, make sense of things. It, it, it's filled with your imagination. It's filled with your emotions. It's, there are bags packed with all of your decisions, all your behaviors. Uh, there are bags packed with things that people have done to you. There are bags packed with things people have not done for you that they should have. All jam-packed into this vehicle. 
and you're driving 100 miles per hour, you're driving recklessly, you're driving dangerously, your headlights don't work, the AC is broken so it's really hot in there. You're not paying attention to where you're going, but you are just driving. And you're not alone because there are other cars on this road too, and they're crashing into one another. They're all trying to get ahead. They're all trying to get past you. It's a terrible mess, but somehow this, this horde of vehicles just keeps moving forward. And so what, what John is getting at here in a baptism of repentance, he's, he's saying on this road, we, we look up, we realize where we're going, we see the mess inside our vehicle, we see the craziness going on uh, around us, and you have this moment of clarity. You see that your car is a mess. And you realize that long ago you abandoned the rules of the road and you've been driving at your own pace in your own direction. And you start to finally ask yourself, maybe for the first time ever, who am I? What am I doing? Where am I going? And then it hits you. It's been your way or the highway. You've been driving on this road your whole life and you've known nothing else. And you have this... this sudden understanding that the one who built you knows everything about what's inside your car. He knows everything about how you've been driving. He knows everything about your baggage. And you, you, you might start to feel even sick to your stomach at this point. And then you realize that maybe it's time to slow down. And so you look over your shoulder and you pull off to the side of the road and you make a stop. And then you look over your other shoulder and you see the traffic. You see that, they're, they're, that everything's still crazy. You see the mess inside your car. You see what's going on outside. But you tell yourself, I just can't keep going this way. And so you turn around. And the mess inside your car, it actually comes with you. Your beliefs start going in a different direction. Your imagination, your ability to process life, it starts going in a different direction. Your emotions change direction. Your decisions, your behaviors, they all start to change as you turn. And so this is what I think John is getting at here. An immersion in repentance. Slowing down. Stopping turning around with every element of your being. The true king, the one who made you, he's coming. Prepare your hearts. Slow down. Stop and turn around. And so who is that person that you've identified as someone in authority over you who might have loomed over your life, who may have instilled fear, who might have been intimidating? How do you respond when they enter a room? With my boss uh, in college uh, at the campground restaurant, every summer he would throw a, uh, a major party. Like with, it was called Light Up the Bluff. Major fireworks. He would bring in the band, a really crappy band um, to play. Um, and people from all over the, the, the area would come. And as a bartender, um, I, I was pretty autonomous on those nights. I, I, I had my area to run, and he told me specifically what he did not want me to sell that evening as a bartender. And, um, and uh, I just chose to ignore that directive from my boss. And I decided to sell what he did not want me to sell because this was my particular highway, and I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so I did it. 
And so when he came around my area, I definitely got nervous. I may have hidden some things that I was trying to not let him see. But then he would leave and then I would get right back to it. That was my way, my highway, and I was worried that, if, that he would find out for sure. But if he did, I had at least some sort of plan of how I was going to deal with it. Um, and it wasn't necessarily to apologize. It was not to confess. It wasn't to say, sorry, Randy, I, I know you told me not to sell this stuff, but I sold it anyway. Um, will you forgive me? It was none of that. It was uh, actually my plan was to do the same exact thing that John is warning his audience not to do. And so if you look at verses 7 through 10, 7 through 9, John is warning his audience that, that the king is coming. Who warned you to flee from the wrath that's to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And those who don't, the axe is laying at the root of the trees. They will be cut down and they will be thrown into the fire. So this admonishment and strong exhortation, this warning from John, it was necessary because, as we see here, the Jews, they had a plan. They, they were children of Abraham. We are, by default, children of God because of our lineage. And my plan with my boss wasn't all that different. My, um, I actually got the job because my aunt knew his wife. Sure, I've been, I've been living like it's my way or the highway, Randy. I've been selling what you didn't want me to sell. But you can't fire me because my, my aunt knows your wife. So we're good here, right? I, I, I'm glad I didn't do that because that would not have gone well with that guy. Um, John's audience was relying upon this lineage, this connection they had to Abraham as the means by which they were justified and were the means by which they found their salvation. And John is warning them that it's not about your relationships to mankind, but it's about the nature of your relationship with God, the creator of mankind. They were saying that because they were children of Abraham, children of his covenant, they, they've been driving on the road in a way that they see fit, and they're good with that. Their salvation was, in effect, based on their relationship to this man, and, and that makes Abraham their functional savior in that moment. And we learned last week from Mitch that the Messiah needed to be fully God and fully man, and Abraham did not fit that bill. Don't trust Abraham. He trusted God, and it was his trust in God that was counted to him as righteousness. So John is exhorting his audience, and by extension, Luke is exhorting Theophilus to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This lifestyle, a way of living that's marked by slowing down, by stopping, and by turning around. And this is done when we remember who our Savior really is. And then we reorient our lives around his will for us. And this is how we respond to Jesus, the true authority. This is how we bear fruits in living by his will for his glory, for his purposes in the world. But there's another problem that we face when we're being challenged to this lifestyle of repentance. It's that we really don't know what that means for us. What fruit are we supposed to be producing here? that John is talking about. So the second major thing we're going to consider this morning is repent specifically. Repent specifically. And so it sounds uh, like at least some of the people that were there uh, with John to be baptized, they were listening uh, to what he was saying. They are with him. I get, I get where you're at, John. Repentance for forgiveness of sins. 
But what does that look like? We even hear it very clearly asked. The crowds asked, what then shall we do? And that's a great question. If that's a question that you're asking, then you're in a repentant state of mind. Then you're, you're in, a, in a spot where you're starting to slow down. You're starting to take a look at your life and say, who am I really? And this shows that something's happening in your heart. And so when they ask, John is kind enough just to tell them. He says, if you have extra clothes, share with those who don't. If you have extra food, share with those who don't. If you're a tax collector whom none of the Jews liked because they worked for Rome and they're kind of like freelance tax collectors, can you imagine that? If the IRS guys could just do whatever they wanted and come knock on your door and say what's up. They would not be well liked and neither were these guys. And they asked John, what shall we do? And he says, take only what you're supposed to take. Then some soldiers come up and say, what about us? How do we respond to this coming king? And, and he says, don't use your power and position to take what isn't yours. So if we can glean anything from those examples, no longer using your, your power and authority and status for personal gain, but rather setting aside your rights for the good of others. Our problem is that we don't often know what that actually looks like in our lives. If someone would ask me, like, Charlie, where are you focusing? You are slowing down and you're stopping and you're turning. I'd be like, well, let me think about that. It's not something that just naturally comes to mind for us. And so what we need is a few different things. What we need is we need God's word to inform our repentance. We need God's spirit to empower our repentance. And we need one another to encourage us in the midst of our repentance. As we slow down, as we stop, as we turn around, we find that we're all doing the same thing, just in different ways. And together, what we do is we let each, one of, we let each other look into, side, look into our baggage and see what's there. And I know that's not easy. I know that is scary. But I tell you what, the people in my life who are willing to do that, don't, don't lose those people. And that's why we focus so much on community groups and getting people connected because that's exactly what we need and that's exactly what we hope happens, that we're, we're sharing with each other where we're at in reality. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, read those passages this week, talk about them in community group. Some of my favorite passages of Scripture, and they talk about repentance in terms of, of putting something off and putting something on. We put off the lifestyle associated with our old self and we put on this new lifestyle that's associated with Christ himself. In fact, it's his righteousness. It's his life that we are putting on and living more and more like. And so we, we're stopping something, we're starting something, we're taking something off, we're putting something on and that's the essence of what we're talking about here. Ephesians 4.28 is a great example. When is a thief no longer a thief? I use this example a lot. When is a thief no longer a thief? Is it when they stop stealing? That's part of it, but not necessarily because if I'm a thief, I'm not stealing right now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to leave here and go do it. A thief is no longer a thief when they stop stealing and when they start working and they start giving away their money and being generous with what they have, just like what John's talking about. That is repentance, slowing down, stopping, going in a different direction. And so can we start to, to identify some of those areas in our lives? What would it be like for us if we could say, this is where I'm slowing down. 
This is where I need help stopping, Father. This is where I need you to to point me in a different direction by your word and by your spirit and by your people, Father. Most likely these things are going to be hard for us to discern. And that's why we do this stuff. And it's even less natural for us to do anything about it. Because in fact, these things are impossible to do on our own. And so, what do, we, what do we do with all of this? We have this funny relationship with authority. We all want it. We all reject it, but we're all under it. We live by my way or the highway in so many ways, but at the same time, we find that other people are giving uh, direction and influence to our lives. John is calling his audience, and Luke is telling Theophilus, and us by extension, we're hearing this, that in response to the Messiah, we live this lifestyle of slowing down and stopping and turning around. So is John just telling us that, that the king's coming, go through the car wash, slap on a new coat of paint, and just get yourself presentable before the Messiah comes? That is not what John is getting at here. So let's look at verse, verses 15 through 17 in the last... Um, consider our last point this morning, that we repent by the Spirit. We repent by the Spirit. And so the people were coming to John. They were in expectation. They were hopeful. They were anticipating that this could be the Messiah. This could be the guy. This could be the guy who would would take us out of Roman oppression and actually give us back our land, let us express our identity as a people. This could be the guy. Some wondered, is this the Messiah? God had been quiet for over 400 years, and during that time, they were conquered, they were now occupied, and Jake said it a few weeks ago. They were longing for a revolution. They wanted to be free from Roman oppression, but John was going to make it really clear. He was not the Messiah. Someone way greater than him was coming with a way greater plan than simple geopolitics. When John says, the one who's coming, whose sandal... I'm not worthy to untie. What he's getting at is in comparison with the coming king, he is lower than low. Untying the sandals of a rabbi was a task that not even the the lowest of a rabbi's students would do. So in response to this hopeful expectation, John is saying, you think I'm great. I'm less than nothing in comparison with he who's to be revealed. I'm a nobody. I'm less than a nobody, but you should prepare your hearts for somebody. Somebody greater, somebody mightier, somebody more powerful than Tiberius, somebody more powerful than Pilate, somebody more powerful than Herod, somebody who has more religious authority than Annas and Caiaphas combined. He is to come, and man, he's bringing way more than a revolution. As Jake said, he's bringing renovation. Oh, yeah. John says, and I I baptize you with with water, but he who's coming, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to come get his people. He came to seek and to save the lost. He's going to display the salvation of God. And those who reject him, they'll be rejected by him and thrown into unquenchable fire. The real and true king with actual authority in heaven and on earth was about to be revealed. And Jesus was a different kind of king, bringing with him a different kind of revolution. 
So when a Roman authority would enter into your presence, you would know it because their name would be announced, they would march in with pomp and circumstance, you would not be able to miss it, and you would be forced to uh, communicate your allegiance to this leader. But Jesus' arrival was going to be much different than they would expect because he was mightier than all those political and religious leaders, yet he made himself low. He was God, yet he became fully man. He was majestic and glorious in his nature, but he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. How did that person that you've identified in your life, how would they express their authority? This particular king, this Jesus, he is full of grace and truth. He is the lion and he is the lamb. He's the king of kings and he is the lord of lords, and yet he submitted himself to the will of his father, even to the point of death. And so with this king, we don't need to fear him like we fear a bad boss or an abusive parent. But we have a reverence and we have a respect for Jesus. And we see that this king did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This king, he wraps his sheep in his arms. He is loving and warm and kind, and this kindness leads us to repentance, so says Romans 2.4. And so we have a king who doesn't abuse his authority over us, but uses it, who loves his people with a perfect and persistent love and who leads us in the path of life. Is that good news? That's amazing. This king did not kill his people for sport like Tiberius, but instead, he allowed himself to be killed for his people. And as Pilate gave in to the demands of the crowds and handed Jesus over to be crucified, and as Jesus walked through Jerusalem carrying the cross, and as they, they nailed his hands to that cruel piece of lumber, Jesus, he could have called down the armies of heaven and taken himself down off that cross, but no. It was the will of his father to crush him taking upon himself all the penalty for our my way or the highway lifestyle. This is our king, and there is nobody like him. He is far greater than we tend to think, and so we slow down, we stop, and we turn around because when we do, we see more of him. And we like what we see. So now let's look at verse 16. John baptized with water, but Jesus, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so by faith, we are, we are immersed with, we are filled with the Holy Spirit who enters into our broken down and beaten up vehicles, bringing new life, bringing a new engine with new power and a new direction for life. Because Jesus is the way he is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And Jesus made this way. We take the exit ramp, taking us off the broad path and the broad road that only leads to destruction, and he puts us on the narrow way that leads to life and life eternal. The reference with baptizing with fire points to the refining work of the Holy Spirit to clean out our impurities and to make us more like the king himself. The Holy Spirit gets into our baggage. And as we're driving in different direction. Our thoughts change, our beliefs change, our decision-making changes, our emotions change. We're becoming different people. In fact, we're becoming more and more like the king. And that's what's crazy about all of this, right? 
Because those of us who live by the my way or the highway mentality, those of us who fought to exercise our own authority in whatever way we can, by faith we become united to Christ the King, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. By faith we are made righteous, we are made upstanding citizens of his kingdom, and we desire to submit to him and his will for our lives. Isaiah 40, which Luke has quoted, says he's going to tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's our king. That's who John's audience was eagerly awaiting, and that's who we have as our Savior. And so, Christian, I think this starts for us with, with considering that Jesus is far greater than we tend to think. In comparison with him, we are lower than low, but by faith in him, we are made new, we are united to him, we no longer need to fight to exercise our own authority. We can set aside our my way or the highway mentality. Does that sound good to anybody? Not even to fight for that? day in and day out, fighting for identity, fighting for position and power. We can serve God and his people. We can submit to his will for our lives. And if we're honest, his will for our lives is much better than our own. We bear fruit in keeping with repentance as we live for his glory, for his purposes in the world. And so what does that look like in your life? Slowing down. Stopping. Turning around. Serving God, serving his people, having set aside your own desire for authority and power. If this is a question that you're willing to wrestle with this morning, then that's, that's a great spot to be. That means that the, the Holy Spirit, Lord willing, is doing some work on your heart to actually open up the bags and see what's in there. But I know that there are people here this morning who are driving in the dark without headlights, who are banged up, who are beaten up, whose beliefs and whose imaginations and whose emotions and whose decisions are scattered all over the place. And can I warn you this morning that, that on the path you're on, John tells us it's leading towards destruction. It's leading towards unquenchable fire. Rejecting Jesus is a dangerous place to be. But can I tell you that the God who made you will remake you. While you have breath in your lungs, Ask him to slow you down. Ask him to bring you to a stop. Ask him to turn you around. Confess the ways in which you've driven on your own highway at your own pace and ask him to forgive you. And John says, this is how the forgiveness of sins comes, through faith in the king who died for his people. He died so we could have life. And so trust in him, turn from your sins, and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let's pray. Father God, we confess this morning that the things that John proclaimed out in that wilderness so many years ago, they resonate even here today. But Lord, we confess that, that it's not easy for us to see the ways in which you're calling us to slow down we're thankful that, Lord God, your son Jesus lived a perfect life of faith and his life is counted to us. And so in light of that, Father, help us to, to see more of where you're calling us, 
to slow down and to stop and to turn. And Father, make us into the image of your Son. Help us to see him more clearly. Help, him to see, help us to see him as, as greater than we tend to think, whatever that means for us, Lord God. By your Spirit and by your Word, we want more. We want more of Jesus. We want more of, of his greatness to be right in front of us knowing that one day we're going to see it in full, but Lord, in your mercy and in your grace, give us more even today, even in these moments. Convict us where we need convicting, comfort us where we need comfort. And Father, use this time to make us more and more in the image of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.